1: entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beast.
0: I still in my mind thought, oh, I'm a Black woman. Black folks are going to come and support this. That didn't happen. And so when that didn't happen, I had to like restructure my feelings because I had all these expectations. I thought it was enough to be Black and to start something
1: that hadn't been done. That is not how business works. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Beat. Today's guest is Felicia Leatherwood, celebrity hairstylist and inventor of the Felicia Leatherwood Detangler Brush. But before we get started, don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. We love to hear from you. All right, everyone. Felicia Leatherwood is a leading celebrity hairstylist educator and expert on natural hair care for the past five years she was the exclusive and lead stylist on hbo's insecure creating main magic on the award-winning actress and producer Issa ray felicia is the brainchild and inventor of the felicia leatherwood detangler brush specifically designed for all hair textures. Felicia has received numerous awards from leading publications, including Allure's Best in Beauty, Cosmopolitan, Naturally Curly, and was most recently recognized on New York Magazine's Strategist 100 list. Felicia, welcome to Business of the Beat. I am so honored to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, this is such a treat. We are all in the middle of Barbie craze, Barbie mania. We love it. We love it. And you, my friend, are the responsible party behind the looks of President Barbie. For the press, not the actual film. For the press. And that is the most important part because that's real life. (laughs) So I want to talk about this because you are award-winning, you are fantastic, you've been in the industry for so long, you have received so many awards and accolades, and you are truly paving the way for this industry. So I want to just jump right in and first start with your background and when you had your first love of hair and kind of bring us into now. Well, let me ask you a question. When you were little, who did your hair? Oh, that's an excellent question. And I think it's generational because now I have such a hard time with my daughter's hair. So my mom was also not a hair person. I remember she learned how to do braids because it was so expensive. And so we would take like probably three to five days doing braids and we'd go into sections and sections and then I'd wear a hat. And then other than that, I would go to the salon or my grandmother would do my hair. My grandmother on my dad's side would do my hair in the kitchen with the flat iron. And I remember having this traumatizing experience where I went to the hair salon and I had asked for this style and they like cut off all of my hair and everybody was devastated. So that was a long answer, but it's hard to pinpoint like who was truly responsible for my hair. So my point
0: is that, Growing up, a lot of black girls, mothers did not know how to do their hair. So we either went to grandma, auntie, our father, the the beautician. They called them beauticians then, uh, who would probably when you walked in to the beauty salon, all you smell was hair burning. That's all you smell. Yes. And chemicals. (laughs) You smell chemical relaxers and you smell hair burning. And you either, you had like a fight and flight feeling because at one point it's like, oh my God, I'm going to look so pretty when I leave here, but oh my God, what's going to actually happen? Like, and I'm going to be here all day. So my mom, not knowing how to do my hair, my grandma, and my father basically doing it and torturing me, everyone else not understanding my texture because I had a very dry, kinky uh, texture of hair as a baby and a kid and a child. Well, still now, (laughs) it hasn't changed. And so basically I had to take matters into my own hands because my mother at that time didn't see that there should have been some type of pot that you put money into for me to get my hair done every two weeks. She was like, that's expensive. This is going to be on special occasions, (laughs) you know? When I had braids, they would be on so long they'd start looking like dreadlocks. Like, you know, when you were a kid, Mm -hmm. it just started looking. And so I came here as a Capricorn woman. And I don't know if you know much about Capricorns, but we love looking nice. We love wearing nice things. Of course, I didn't know that as a kid, but I did know that I wanted my hair to look nice. And I did look at other little girls' hair and be like, my hair does not look like that. The only way I knew I could achieve it at the age of seven was to do it myself. So that's how it started.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Everything that you're saying, it it is it literally brought back the smell of going into the beauty shop, being in my grandmother's basement. And you're right. It's so interesting because generationally, it's like now we have YouTube and people expect you like when I say that I have a hard time with my my child's hair, it feels like so much judgment because everyone's like, well, girl, why didn't you watch YouTube? If you watch YouTube, you can learn how. And I'm like, I don't know if that is the true source of treating my child's hair the way that it should versus a professional because there's so many nuances to hair health that we now know about. That I never heard about growing up.
0: Yes. And YouTube's not for everyone. You know, the thing is, YouTube is like, it's almost like you say, I want to eat a burger, right? You know how many people make hamburgers? But then how many of them make a good one? Where you're like, I taste all the flavors in this burger. So I just kind of feel like when it comes to YouTube... Uh, It's like you, you, you really need to follow or watch someone who has your texture and their explanation is easy. You know, like it has to be guidance. It's almost
1: like you yes. need a tutorial to learn how to use t- YouTube. It's like it's your it's your YouTube assistant who's guiding you through because there's so many steps like. There's a reason that you are the hair whisperer and that there is a craft and an art to everything that you do when it comes to the hair. And so when you think about being seven and saying, I'm taking matters into my own hands. What was that journey like for you? What was your training like and how supportive was your family?
0: They're very supportive because that meant that they did not have to do my hair anymore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're done with
0: that. (laughs) And I think working on all those Barbie doll heads gave me the confidence to create something for myself. I would start with the big Barbie head. It was just the head of the Barbie. And I would do these hairstyles. And then I go, I wonder if I could do it on myself. The problem with the Barbie head versus my head is that the hair was straight. Her skin looked like if she was Black, African, kind of, Moroccanish, <laughs> But her <laughs> hair was silky straight. And I was like, I don't have... There was so many... Uh, places. And there's been so many places in our lives as black females, where we have these images that never reflect who we are. And they always left us feeling either embarrassed or ashamed or less than. And I think although Barbie, you know, was fun, and there's so many wonderful dreams that little girls created with Barbie, for me as a black little girl, Barbie kind of made me feel like I wasn't good enough or I hadn't ascended to grow into that, what Barbie looked like yet. And so I remember at one point getting frustrated and just cutting all her hair off, just all the Barbie's hair off, and saying, you know what? This wow. hair doesn't look like my short, kinky, dry afro. And it's making me feel like something's wrong with me. I mean, and I was young thinking like this, it was so weird. And
1: I just started to make myself be the Barbie. I love that. And I think the fact that you had that type of confidence at that age and during that time, it is astounding. Um, I talk to so many of my friends now and we look at our daughters and we're like, wow, they have such great confidence. And we were like, did we have confidence in our hair and, and our look and even thinking about Kind of the referenced Barbie as the movie was coming out, and I said to my mom, Oh my gosh, and she's like, I still feel some kind of way about Barbie. And she said, I get this new generation of inclusivity and how Barbie looks in the movie. And she said, but growing up, and you can imagine my mom is 70, You know what that looked like even in my generation of how I was treated and things that I still think about. And now this new evolution of what it is down to the hair. I mean, we see it with American Girl dolls too, in terms of how they're trying to make the hair be more realistic. But it's that confidence that you had that is just so key to say, I'm going to make this this figure in my image. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how did you, from that process, like with all of your other friends, were they like, wow, we want you to do our hair growing up? Because they saw you living in your true light and now taking this as a craft. So what was that? I, I wanted to be your friend. I'd be like, help me out, sis. <laughs> no, he did. I started
0: doing hair really young in the neighborhood, honestly, and then somehow I remember like learning how to arch your eyebrows. That's random. I just happen to remember that while talking to you, because when you said like people coming to me, the older women would come in to have me arch their eyebrows. I was probably at the time like fourteen, fifteen. Wow. I don't know how I learned how to arch eyebrows.
1: <laughs> Wait, where were you doing this? Where would they come and see you? I would go to their house. They were up the street. I don't
0: know. What was I even using to arch eyebrows? I must have had, you know, back then we had little blades. We had the Mm -hmm. little little blades. I had no business doing that. (laughs) But yeah, I was braiding hair and arching the eyebrows for the older women in the neighborhood. Too funny. Thanks for
1: helping me remember that, actually. (laughs) I'm so glad you did. It's all these moments. And then we think back and we're like, wait a second, was that appropriate, not appropriate, but it worked. And it clearly was truly the start of this long career. So you've been in the business 26, 27 years.
0: I don't know that I've ever counted. You know, people that are in the business don't count until they start doing interviews and people ask them that question.
1: Well, I read it on your site and I was like, 26 years.
0: <laughs> I, I probably didn't put it there. I <laughs> probably did that, but that's fine because it helps me appreciate, you know, that I've been having this wonderful purpose in life for that long. But when you're doing what you love, you're just kind of doing it and it's endless and you hope that it continues. And you never think about that time frame and how long. What I can tell you is that I'm 54 years old and my body definitely feels that I've been doing this work for a while, but my mind is still feeling like it was just yesterday that I started.
1: Well, it's so interesting, the body and the mind, right? And how they come together, especially in a profession like yours Because there is the standing, there's the piece of the body that is constantly working along with the mind. And in other professions, you know, people get static or they're sitting too much and they have the opposite side of it, but you are constantly on your feet. And even when you sit, it's still different because you have to use your full body in order to do your craft. And so I can only imagine over time, especially we had our seven-year-old and our 14-year-old arching up what that was like. Um, And I just, I wonder as you think about it, because you're right, when you're passionate, you dive all in and you're constantly go, go, go. And you have to remember to take time for yourself. But instead of taking time, you created your own products. So talk about this transition because you're still working. So
0: the interesting thing is that I will probably Like I said, I will never, you know, being a Capricorn, all we do is think about work and more work and how to create all the work. (laughs) And it's fun because we are worker bees. Like we have to keep working. It's what we do. Issa's a Capricorn. And so our joy is creating. Our love is creating. Uh, The brush came from me remembering as a kid, that there was no tools, nothing that could get through my hair without the torture, without torturing me. And so I remember like, just saying, you know, no one else should have to endure this or suffer what I went through. No one else should have to have any of these issues. I'm going to figure out what cannot break our hair out. Cannot strip it down, won't send little girls and boys running from their moms when it's time to get their hair done. Mm -hmm. Something that can work for all textures. And it was the Felicia Leatherwood detangler brush. So I had been working with a manufacturing company, telling them specifically what I wanted to do. And the brush had been around for some time before, but I redesigned it and restructured it. It was a brush that I had worked with for, for years. And I basically was like, this could be better. And that's when I took it, restructured it, redesigned it. So it blew up. It became <laughs> a amazing thing. And what was so crazy is I didn't think anyone was paying attention to me making this brush. Everybody was on products. Everybody was doing products. No one was doing tools. So I was like, I'm going to go over here where tools are because I'm concerned about that part of our air. And so when the brush blew up and I wasn't really, truly paying attention, and this is the business part, that's when things got real interesting. That's when people started watching, what she up to? That's when it got knocked off and sent through Alibaba. And then, you know, I felt like it was very interesting because even though brush with the best And the Felicia Leatherwood brush has had great success. We won wonderful awards, beauty awards. I still in my mind thought, oh, I'm a black woman creating something we haven't done before. Black folks are going to come rush and support this. That didn't happen. And so when that didn't happen, I had to like restructure my feelings and my emotions behind it because I had all these expectations. I thought it was enough to be black and to start something that hadn't been done. That is not how business works. (laughs) Not at all. We wish, we wish. (laughs) That is not, and we could do a whole nother podcast on that, but there's so many (laughs) little levels and rooms of business that needs to be expanded on, you know, that people need to talk about. There's the spiritual side of business where you do creative visualizing and affirming and manifestation. Then there's this practical side and there's once you get it going, what happens? Who are the people you need to keep this thing moving right? What do you need? Maybe you need to learn some skills I noticed that like a lot of us tend to hold things so tight. We don't want anyone else to invest in us or or to give us any advice at times. So we think, let me just get it. Or, or maybe we feel like we don't have it uh, good enough and we don't want to share because we feel ashamed. And so I've learned a very valuable lesson. And that is talk to people. Talk to people who are like-minded. And that are trying to kind of do what you do, or who have done something successful, and ask them the basic questions of what is the best part of this you love? What was the most valuable thing you learned? And what do you hope to get at the end of this? And in that triangle of questioning is where you start to structure the things and align the things that you are asking for and wanting for your business. And so there, there's just been a lesson after lesson after lesson as it relates to business. But I am very grateful that just as a hairstylist, Brush for the Best took off. I also have a a, a management company called Texture Management. And uh, there are about uh, 20 women in texture management that do hair and makeup. And they're all over the planet. And so that was just me wanting to make sure that people could get service and it didn't always just come from me. There are other hairstylists that are amazing and other women that are creative that the world needed to know about. And I wanted to put them on. So I created texture management to take care of some of the black actors and elitists who, who have textured hair and didn't know what to do or who to call. So I love creating these streams of income. It's how I grew up. And I think the one biggest lesson was just really making sure that I'm not going all the way around the block when I can just go up the street to get what I need, if that makes sense. (laughs) It
1: does. Felicia, you have literally just summarized what we so hope to accomplish on this podcast and really Why I started it was this notion of really understanding the business side of what we do, particularly in beauty and wellness. And businesses are not built on a hope and a prayer. We pray to amplify the work that we're doing and what we put in, but that only can be manifested if we do have the business side of what we're doing. And it's interesting because we talk a lot about the difference between a hobby and the difference between a business. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean that one is better than the other, but I love how you formulated the three questions because it is about what are you creating? What do you want this to be? And also what do you want the outcome to be? I think being someone in this space, you know, running our brain trust founder studio to create an ecosystem of resources for founders, but then also running our brain trust venture Fund, and now being on the side of being a venture capitalist And talking to all of these brands about is venture capital right and what do you want your outcome to be? Because we're looking for exits. And as we know, not all companies are venture backable. And so your sensibility of saying that it is different whenever we think about, I thought I could create something. And because I'm an expert, it would do well. There's a whole other side of business and the competitive landscape of which we sit. And I wanted to pick up on something that you said in terms of the, the the counterfeit and in terms of Alibaba, because you did create an, a product that we all need. You're the woman behind the brush. How did you manage when you started to see that there were copycats and there were dupes? Because we've heard this from other founders as well. Was there advice that you can share? How did you manage that? So I'm still
0: managing that because it's almost beyond me because I don't run the United States of America. And, what? What? <laughs> uh, you know, I have to be careful what I say. But basically, you know, our country does business with other people in a way that's extremely. Um, I, I feel like they're that they have more control than is needed for mom and pop businesses and small businesses like myself. What does that mean? what I'm saying specifically for me. For me, I had to create a mold, Uh, comes from a machine. That machine is not produced in the US. The companies that are here that do business and produce in the US, um, their margin, what they charge is so high that I would have to charge more to sell the brush, which would hurt the consumer it's 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 a, it's a whole it's like a whole thing it's you know it's a dance so I am still I, what really needs to happen honestly Kendra we need more of a network amongst us we need more people between Africa and Costa Rica and Colombia of color that we can rely on to help us streamline our business. In a way that we can get what we need manufactured and made and sent here without so many of the other things that we're up against, and I hope you this is making sense without me saying it, but saying it it actually is
1: and i and I do agree with you. I think that there it it's kind of striking a chord in me that we can follow up on and we can share with our listeners but i I had the honor of speaking at the u s Black Chamber National Conference. And one of the things that we talked about, the U.S. Ministry of of Treasury, who runs the Treasury Department, happens to be this man, Kenneth. He's a black man, and he is working on taking small businesses and founders to Africa, to other places to help in terms of manufacturing, exporting, importing, but to have the support. So there's an extra layer of safety, protection, but also just education. And so I, I understand what you're saying. And, and I think that it's something that, to your point, we have to unify so that we can create the support, the protection that we need. But so yeah. much of it is driven from the government. You know, we're working okay, with the where
0: are our import, export boats? Where are ours? You know, where are our freight? Who are the people of color that own planes that do freight, shipping? We're, we're, we've been around for a while. And yes, there's a lot that's been happening. <laughs> Every time we create something, somebody's up, got their hand up in it. But I think that some of these things can definitely be created and not where there's all this fanfare that, you know, we don't have to make a big fuss. It's just literally businesses that have been running that we're just not a part of, that we need to be. So I I don't even know where to find a black shipping freight company. I mean, anybody who listens—if they do—please hit us, because I want to know. <laughs> I want to know who's manufacturing, and they're black, you know. And, and and also, even with Africa, to get it from there to here is a process. So now we have to trust that process. There even needs to be a door you walk in, called trust, where you acquire it when you enter that room. Because that's our other thing is the fear of not being able to trust each other with doing business. You know, there's there's a class. (laughs) It's a life class that you really I've had the opportunity to get, honestly, on this journey. Um, I learned the difference between CEO and owner and I want to be an owner. I don't always want to be the CEO. CEO, I got to sit in meetings and make all these decisions and be a part of all these conference calls and Zooms and this and that. The owner gets to go sell boats and lay on the beach and go look at make a few decisions here and there. But the money's invested and it's coming back, you know? So these are all the things that I had to learn. And what parts do I want to play? So I invite anyone watching, listening, To figure out, do you want to be the CEO or the owner? And who's answering this question when you ask, is it your id ego or is it your higher self? Because higher self is going to always take the humble seat and say, hey, maybe I need to hire somebody to do that. And I just make sure I watch it and monitor it and make sure things are right. Sometimes our id ego will say, I want to be the CEO. I want to know everything and this and that and be on it but we really don't have the capacity. So I invite anyone listening to be very honest with yourself because there's no wrong answer. It's just being honest and making sure that whoever is answering that question has your best interests at heart and it's not coming from an ego place.
1: You know, it is. It's so true. And I think as entrepreneurs, as founders, there is this level of like loving our ideas and thinking we can do it. And it is a a big balance of ego because ego can get in the way to your point of knowing when to step aside and let others come in so that the business can flourish versus trying to hold it all. And so that exercise, and you know, sometimes when we start businesses, so many of us are bootstrapping our companies. And so it's, I got to do everything. I got to do everything. And then There has to be this moment to your point of reflection where it's, do I have to do everything? And is the company better suited? And am I truly growing to accelerate if I haven't figured out the role that I sit? Mm -hmm. And sometimes the CEO who starts the business, whether it's you or someone else, is not always the CEO who gets the business to where it needs to go. And that's just the reality. That's the reality of skill sets and expertise. Yeah, no, so true. And when you think about, there's, there's so many pieces here and you're, and you're exactly right in terms of understanding, navigating, coming together in community. I'm so interested because you've seen so much and you've worked with the top names in the business throughout your career. What is something that some of the newer stylists, like what's some advice or feedback or even thoughts just in terms of the craft? Because there is navigating, no matter what, you're still a business owner in the sense of you're not just a hairstylist. You own a business. You're providing a service. You have people, there's an exchange of money. So how are you advising kind of this next generation of stylists? And does that play into your, your textured management company?
0: So during the pandemic, when we were all on lockdown, I feel like I was my busiest actually because my brain started working overtime, and also had the opportunity to go work on White Lotus (laughs) in uh, the first season. But I had a lot of time to think, and I was having meetings maybe every two weeks or so with the texture management team. And in our Zoom meetings, I would say to them, "Now that you can't do what you would normally be doing." What can you do? Ask yourself what could you and this is one of the questions I always say if I couldn't do anything if i had to, if, if my my arms were, couldn't work and my legs couldn't work what would I be able to manifest from just my thought process? what could I create and so I had them uh basically look at how could they work together and possibly purchase in a large quantity supplies that's needed for people when it comes to hair care and get it wholesale and then sell it retail and start to create business. And a lot of them did create some great businesses from that. One of the young ladies, LaRae Beura, she created Crown Confidence and she has these uh, corn rolls that she makes. They're already made, pre-made, and you can just pull your hair in any, pretty much any hairstyle and pin them on. Great. One of the other young ladies working on uh, hair fibers that's more organic. People were creating tools, like just so many things were, it, it had the brain working to manifest these things. So even though we came out of the pandemic, everybody went back to whatever, it's still good to work that muscle. And so it's really important that we, Take inventory of our gifts, because a lot of times we'll be doing the same thing the same way over and over and think that's all we are. Meanwhile, we have a plethora of of creative ideas and gifts. Write them down, record them. The phones record. It's really important that we exercise that muscle and we let that out of us because so much more will continue to come up. And sometimes a lot of us, a lot of people even listening to this will say, I had an idea for this thing and I didn't do it. And next thing you know, somebody came out with it. That means you're brilliant. That means you're brilliant. And there are people that are like-minded like you. And if you could find that tribe of folks to get together with, it just being in the same room creates and stimulates that part of us that's created. Those are the people we need to stay associated with. You know, sometimes when you find yourself on Instagram or TikTok and you looking at somebody's life and they passed out or they this or they that or they fighting, that's when you stop and say, this isn't bringing creativity to me right now. This isn't bringing anything that's going to replenish my wallet. But if you're watching these things and you found a way to monetize it, by all means, this is the world we're in. (laughs) (laughs)
1: So do it. (laughs) I love that. Do it. And it is, we forget, you know, our brain. I I have said it before and I always say it. I've been so intentional about calling my company brain trust because, and, and you've said it in two instances, it's like this, this door of trust that you walk through and then it's leveraging your brain. And I'm such a big believer in interacting, engaging, being in community with smart people that I trust to get things done. And we forget, like we are all uniquely blessed with our gifts. And so it is, how do we make sure that we're keeping track of them? How do we make sure that we're actioning on them while also understanding that there's gonna be moments where we have the ability to do more of that. And then there's moments where we have to kind of prioritize the gifts that we have. And I think it's so important, like you said, to write them down. Because when it gets hard as entrepreneurs, when we are sick or we're overcoming an illness and we still have to get up and do our job and we still have to travel, it's digging deep so that we understand how important we are and how unique and special our gifts are. Even if someone possesses gifts that are similar.
0: Yes. Yes. And you always have to connect back to that. Place where you're creative and productive and prosperous and you feel self worth. It's so important for us to connect back to that. I wanted to say, I forgot to tell you, one of the things that I usually say to people, and like I said, during the pandemic, everybody was calling me like, oh my God. So a lot of my friends who were the same age, some of them are older, when social media popped up, they're like, I can't get into all of that. I'm just doing Facebook, I'm good. I don't want to. And they were very indignant. Like "Mm, y'all can have that. When the pandemic went down, they were like, Oh my God, how can I make money? I can't physically go out. What can I do to get started on social media? And I was saying, listen, this thing, it's not an overnight thing unless you're trying to do some buffoonery and I don't want you going out like that. You have to build, (laughs) you know, But what I did was and what I continue to do is I challenge people to think about the future because what we see right now will not be happening tomorrow or the next day. The world is moving. So whatever business that anybody's creating, it needs to become a part of the new world that's coming and not the old one because it's old. It's over. So you have to think ahead. Like, what can I create for the future of my business? not? now, but the future of it. You have to see it in
1: 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. And it's true. And I think it's, we can, we get complacent or we get scared. You know, so much has been said about AI and technology. You know, one of the the previous guests on our show, the founders of Parfait, My Parfait, which is an AI based, you know, company that focuses on creating human hair, sustainable wigs, but they're using AI technology. One of them is a PhD, you know, candidate at MIT in AI. And when you think about how they've created really a technology business, but the way that you can use AI to look at your hair color, your scalp texture, your hairline to create custom wigs in literally five to seven days, that's looking at how do we create the business of the future, knowing that wigs and weaves are not going anywhere. If anything, they've become so much more part of main culture in all cultures of this sense. Um, It's not even just for one. And so I I love that notion of the future.
0: Yeah, they're not going anywhere. Uh, I was really hoping that the natural hair movement would have kept going and it has slowed down tremendously. But wigs have picked up because now that all the women who had chemical relaxer experiences that turned out to be traumatizing and they're suing and they don't have hair they're wearing wigs they can't even wear natural hair so i'm like okay but they can wear a natural hair wig but you know yeah
1: what what why do you think that natural hair the the natural hair movement because it's interesting when I hear people say, oh, it's a movement. And I'm like, but is it? Because it's our it's our hair and it's always there. So why do you think, and I guess it's more of a when we think about the styles and what the focus has been and the conversations, even on social media, why do you think that there seems to be kind of a waning of natural hair conversations, natural hair consideration?
0: Because that connects us to our roots and don't nobody want that. It's within us and beyond us, if that makes sense. So a lot of times there's a, you know, behind the veil, you've heard that expression behind the veil. We're still in front of the veil. We're still thinking that we're pulling the strings of the curtain, but there are other things involved. So if we started to rise up and we were, we were going after everybody when they came for our hair, it was a movement because so many women were moved to become natural again, to return natural and to see themselves. And that's why I call it a movement because they were moved. Now they're like, it's too much work. (laughs) Where's that lace front? And (laughs) they were going after, I still love the crown act because they're not playing no games and they're just doing their thing. But I felt at one point that the natural hair movement was going to save our culture. (laughs) It was returning us to what had been forgotten after the Black Panthers were annihilated. So we didn't have that closeness. And the Black Panthers were never about politics. They were just about trying to have equal rights. Natural hair is not political. It's just about us loving ourselves. You know, a lot of wonderful businesses came out of the natural hair movement. And a lot of them are gone now because they returned everything to curly, wavy, straight hair. So, when, now, when I go on the beauty supply, the products on the shelves that are for my texture are either none or at the very bottom or the back. I don't even see them. I see everything with curly 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 curly, wavy curly yeah nobody with ha- wavy or curly hair is is wrong for having wavy or curly hair. It's all beautiful, but it's being. The people like me with kinky hair, we're left out. The people, the little girls are left out that don't have that. The girl, it goes back to that Barbie experience. Like she didn't represent me. So now I feel like I'm less than. So I just don't want any person of color feeling more of that less than, that low self worth on any level, head to toe. I just don't want that. And I feel like my purpose here is to continue to be an advocate for that place where you love yourself in totality. Hair, hair texture, hair strands, everything, every part of your skin. I feel like that's why I even chose to be in here is my purpose is to bring that love and to show women the reason why I created the brush and texture management and anything that I do is because I love my people and I want them to feel the highest self-esteem and the highest self-worth on all levels.
1: Felicia, that's really, it's so beautiful and we need that. (laughs) Like, I'm like, just shower it over all of us as our guiding principle. And it's so interesting because I want to ask you, given your philosophy and the love that you have, especially self-love, love for others, creating something to help others feel confident and beautiful, What's been your defining moment in your career personally? And I ask because you have had such dynamic experiences and you've created and worked with, you know, we talk about the different celebrities that you worked with, Issa, the shows that you've been on, White Lotus, but what's been that defining moment?
0: There's not one, there's many. So when you say one, it's like, but then there's this and there's that and then na na. And so sometimes when people ask these questions, I just want God to know I'm grateful for all of it because there's so many. I have a book coming out next year and they'll be in that book. All those defining moments will be in that book. (laughs) (laughs) So many. I think for the purpose of what we're talking about right now and the people who listen that would know me or don't know me, it would definitely be... That so many millions and millions of women and children were inspired by watching Insecure and seeing how Issa's hair went from a short Afro to what it is now. And they had the opportunity to see her on Awkward Black Girl on YouTube to Insecure and to see like her hair, you know, flourish. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know when I was creating these women and children would be inspired until the show ended. And when the show ended and they did a documentary, that was when, um, I got all these messages on Twitter and Instagram and, uh, it just became like, sis, get your flowers. Like so many messages, like so many, like, oh my God, you helped me through work. You helped me figure my hair out when my hair was falling out. You helped me like all of these things, just all these messages came flooding in about Issa's hair and how they felt inspired. So that was definitely huge, huge,
1: huge for me. Wow. It's so fascinating because we just, we just don't know with our actions of us doing the work, doing what we love, how many people we touch. And it is such a blessing to get that experience and get your flowers while you're here. And sometimes it does take something coming to an end to realize the greatness that was come while we were so busy doing the work and not having a second to look at, oh my gosh, this is a defining moment, not just for me, but for everybody else. So that's that's really beautiful. And, and a testament to you and the creativity and the vision matched with such a strong talent in such a dynamic kind of converging of storytelling and, and our experience. So thank you for sharing that. Is, and when is the book coming out, out? Next, uh,
0: 2024, August, August, 2024. It's with the uh, Simon & Schuster publishing house and it's called Root Therapy.
1: Yay. Okay. So we'll have to have you back. Yeah. That will we'll be in season four so uh-huh. that we can celebrate uh-huh. the book, the book launch. That's, that's exciting. exciting. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Yes, yes. We'll be in season four next year. So this is great. Thank you for, for giving us the tease on the book and, and thank you for sharing. And I have two last things. Um, the next thing is what's next? What can we look yeah, forward to? We have the book. I know you'll continue no, with the book text is management. Is the book is
0: big because I have to pour a lot of myself into that a lot of myself into that. Um, so, so that's, yeah, that's the thing that I've just been (laughs) pouring into this book. It's not easy writing a book. People think it is, it is very challenging. So, and it takes a long time.
1: I have a book coming out February 13, 2024 with Wiley Publishing and I loved the experience and um, it takes a lot. I just saw how Levy released her. um, If you're thinking about writing a book, like here's what you need to know. It is an interesting process. I'm excited for it. And I was able to kind of take a step back and say, oh my gosh, I wrote a book. (laughs) There is. Yeah. So I feel you. We'll, we'll have a cocktail and talk about um, <laughs> writing a book. It goes back to some of the glamorization that we see on Instagram and social media, starting a business, writing a book, creating this, doing that. And you're like, oh, child, like what? You're in it. <laughs> um, and the last thing, because we are about community here, we like to support each other. We always ask, "What's a brand, a product um, that you're using, coveting that you love?" That so we should I'm going to go out. back to
0: Crown Confidence because the other day, um, she, I, I, I had her do a client who had a baby shower, and when I saw the client, she looked beautiful, and it's Bureau Burress, B-U-R-R-E-S-S. Crown Confidence. She makes the pre made corn rolls. And I love them because when I'm lazy and don't feel like it, I'll get that in all colors. She makes them in all these different colors. And so for me, she's doing great things.
1: Oh, I love that. Crown Confidence. Yes. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing, being you, and just being so real and honest with the feedback. I know that it's something that we don't get a chance to really dig in and talk about. Um, So appreciate you being here. Excited for the book. Excited for all that you're doing. Thanks for having me too.
0: And uh, it was great. Thank you so much.
1: And every week I share an influencer I'm checking out. And this week, thanks to Felicia, make sure that you follow Laray Burris. She is the founder of Crown Confidence. And on Instagram, you can find her at its. T-H-E-R-A-E-W-A-Y. It's the Ray way. And as always, I want to leave you with one thing from today's guest. And that is, what part of the business do you want to play? Do you want to be the CEO or do you want to be the owner Felicia shared the difference between being the CEO and being the owner and encouraged all of us to determine what role do we want to play in our businesses to achieve success and accelerate our companies. And with that, follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Leave a five-star rating and a review. Until next week.
0: Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken-Ferguson. Assistant producer, Jenny Salk. Executive producer, Kendra Bracken-Ferguson. Edited by Fish Mar Creative. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, odyssey amazon music or where you get your podcast and on ig at business of the beat business of the beat is a mean old line media production